listen to the wind blow Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. It's like if you can't visit the chain restaurant, <laughs> you'll never eat a burger again. This is very good. Very good, Dumb. Make this a staple. All I right. want this every show. Knock off barely. This is like when you really have to squint at the bag. The knockoff Gucci bag to determine that it's not Gucci. Good stuff. I'm into this. Obviously, this is the Fleetwood Mac, right? Yep. free. Yep. And I'm into it. I want this every show. It's great. I'm digging it. It's called that Broken Arrow. Let's hilariously go. close. And the start, the first lyrics I really, mean, really slayed me. Legitimately, that could have been one of the Daisy Jones and the Six tracks. 1,000%. So actually, the band is called uh, Surrey Mac. Surrey Mac. Sure. Just adjacent to Fleetwood. <laughs> For real. <laughs> oh, you're getting no, I made that. A little local color there. For, that, was, for Dom. that was a good job. That was good. Dom, you're yeah, on. You're it really today. on fire today, man. You're back. You're running the board. You're in your element. Yeah, killing it. Rejuvenating. Yeah, who needs a knob? Nobody. Um, all right. It's Canuck Stock. It's Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintex Studio. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. All right. Normally, we do it in the first segment of the show. Today, we have the crossover, so we move it to this part of the show. Let's do the whiteboard. All right, now, fellas. Hey, let's focus up, huh? It is your daily deep dive into what's up with the Canucks today, January 24th. It is a Canucks game day. We'll start there with the headlines. Canucks play the Blues tonight at Rogers Arena, looking to go 4-0 and on this homestand. A lot of focus on the lotto line coming into this one, and we can talk about that a little bit. We heard from Rick Tockett early in the show. You know, it, Based on his commentary, and it was an optional uh, game day skate, so we don't know for sure, based on his commentary, I would guess that they're split up in this one. We'll see how that develops. You know, I did think it was also, uh, as we just kind of dip into this game a little bit here, Drancer, hearing from Talkit, you know, commenting on some of the things that have slipped in the team's game recently, but also talking about some of the things that he still thinks are really strong and specifically mentioning protecting the middle of the ice. And as you were saying earlier in the show, the team's performance over the last few weeks has been really, really strong in large part because of their defensive uh, prowess, mm-hmm. right? And part of that is Carson Soucy coming back. I think part of that is the team executing, but that's something that I'll be watching for beyond the, you know, the drama of the lotto line and where they're playing is can they just keep uh, this run of strong defensive performances going? No Carson Soucy in the lineup again, uh, of course, tonight. Yeah, and look, this Blues team is not what they've been in years past, but they still have a lot of one-shot scoring ability. You still have your Jordan Cairo tier. You still have Rob Thomas, who's mm-hmm. legitimately one of the most gifted passers in the league. Um, we saw them beat the Canucks the last two times, the, uh, or the last time this team these teams met, and how did they do it? They did it off the rush. They did it with one-shot scoring ability, right? They did it by picking corners. And so you're going to have to be sharp tonight. Because even if this Blues team can't control play at, at nearly you know the core of st- steel level that they did in their heyday, uh, or, or when the Canucks defeated them in the playoffs in 2019, for example, 2020, mm-hmm. excuse me, um, 
they can still do damage. We've seen it. Um, be nice to see this Canucks team have a bounce back defensive performance, right? Uh, against a team that defeated them when last they met. And look, we should also mention this. At this point, you know, with Edmonton's steadfast refusal to lose. Oh my goodness. Unreal. Like you actually have to, like the Canucks have had to stay this hot to maintain their edge in the Pacific. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now Vegas looks like they're rounding back into form a little bit and they'll get healthier here. I mean, you are one bad week away from being in a division title race. You know, you really are. Like you, the Canucks are favorites; they should be favorites. But it, it, as we've seen with the way LA and Vegas faded over like a two-week span to not even being in the mix yep. to win the Pacific, things can change in a hurry in this league. I can't believe how quickly Edmonton. I think they have like a six forty points percentage now. They were under three hundred. No, I know. Well into the season. And now they're at 640. I cannot believe how quickly they have charged up the standings. Obviously, you know, a 14-game win streak. That'll help with that. And just the other thing on this game tonight, you know, one of the things we talked about and uh, Talkit talked about as well before this five-game homestand got started was just having the maturity of a team and the focus and the professionalism not to let your game slip on these five games, right? Because you're back from the road after a long, really successful trip. You know, none of these are super marquee games outside of the Leafs game, obviously, on Saturday. You're looking ahead to the All-Star break, to the time off. You can understand how there would be some of that slippage. Somebody, I think, I want to say it was Colin in the Caribou, but it, it could have been somebody else yesterday made a good point that, you know, one thing the Canucks have going for them in that regard is their next two opponents, St. Louis tonight and Columbus, are the two teams that they dropped points to on the road trip. Right, right. Very, very recently, you've lost to these teams. So you hope that there's a little bit, you know, as you're looking for any of those edges to kind of use uh, to motivate you as athletes do over the course of an 82-game season, at least you can go into this game and the, and the Jackets game on uh, on Saturday saying, hey, let's get revenge for those results. Let's go show that we're better than them. So I wonder if we do see a little bit of that uh, in this one. You'd hope so. Tonight. You'd hope so. Yeah. You'd hope so. So, yeah, no, it's going to be... Uh, under the radar, this is perhaps a more interesting one than it looks on paper. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. I mean, again, this is the last team to beat them in regulation. So we'll see. We'll see if they can reverse that tonight. Uh, to the broadsheet, I mean, we dipped into a lot of things with Rick Dollywall in the crossover. Always uh, always good to get the updates from Rick. One thing I did just want to spend a minute or two on here is the Philip Ronick contract situation, which has just been so off the radar. And for some understandable reasons, because they have another even more high profile uh, and more high stakes RFA situation to deal with, which was taking up a lot of the oxygen in oh, Elias Patterson. And because Philip Ronick doesn't exactly put himself no, on the radar. We don't hear a lot from Philip Ronick. No. He goes out there, he plays, that's it. But I mean, this is a big deal. Like this is a, a you went out and made a big splashy trade for this player. It has worked as well as you could possibly hope it to. He's been a perfect fit with Quinn Hughes. He's racking up points. He's playing big minutes. The coaching staff trusts him. All of these things are going right. It's just a fascinating dynamic, and it's going to be. And, you know, I know Rick was saying they're not in a rush to do anything with their UFAs. You know, we know where things stand more or less with Elias Pettersson. I'm really curious where this goes when we start to hear more and, you know, Rick, again, was saying this is not going to be an easy contract. There's a, there's layers to it, but it's a big deal. And I'm a little surprised that there hasn't been more, not necessarily negotiations between the Canucks and Hironic, but more just kind of rumblings and updates about where things stand. Because, again, like this is, you know, if absent Elias Pettersson, this would be a, a real front burner issue, I think, for this team. 
You know, I don't think it's a huge surprise that we haven't got a ton of detail into exactly where this stands because Heronic, even more so than number 40, I think has an interest, a material interest in accumulating in this current role over the balance of the season and seeing how far this team can push it. Mm. Now, here's the key thing about Heronic. Heronic's an RFA and very much like Pedersen. Right, he signed his uh, second contract as a three-year deal with Detroit, and so he's arbitration eligible. Now, there's certain data points that teams can present in arbitration, and 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 that players and their agents can present in arbitration. Um, the things that really matter, though, for defenders, in particular, time on ice. Well, Philip Peronic leads the Canucks in time on ice per game, five on five, mm-hmm. um, and production. And here's where it kind of is a little bit interesting at like overall, Philip Peronic doesn't play a ton with power play one, right? So he's only got nine power play points on the season. And frankly, a lot of that's come while he was with power play one, which by the way, might be something that gets presented in arbitration, right? Mm. But he's only Quinn, only Quinn Hughes has more points at five on five than Heronic does among all NHL defensemen. Wow. Okay, and he's tied for second with Victor Hedman and Noah Dobson. Okay, he's on pace to have a 50-point season easily. Easily, like without a bounce. Outside shot that he gets to 60. And then here's here's the other big point that teams and and you know, player representatives are are able to present at arbitration, and this is where Heronic's case really goes up a level. Um, I don't remember the exact legal wording, and you know how I prefer to use that, but mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, to break it down, it's effectively like individual impact on team success. Okay. Philip Peronic comes in, right? Plays more minutes than any other Canucks defenseman. Produces like crazy. Relatively easy to make the argument that there's been a Heronic effect on, on Quinn, Quinn Hughes. Hughes. Look, and, and he absolutely hits the ball over the fences by absolutely every relevant metric by which these players are judged. You know, I'm not being, I don't think, too overly dramatic when I say he's going to arrive at arbitration with the best arbitration case we've seen a defenseman have since P.K. Subban, right? And P.K. Subban settled. Like, they they had the hearing and then they settled, which you can no longer do. You get to the hearing, you're doing the hearing. Yeah. Players in this situation and teams tend to go long, okay? These are hard ones to do in season, even when both sides want to do a deal. Uh, a good a good reminder for people is like Brock Besser was in this situation. Remember that got settled like right before? Yeah. With both sides throwing like late bows about the status of negotiations. For me, you know, if Heronic wants to amplify his leverage to the hilt going into you know uh, contract talks coming off a career year you want to play 82 you want to have 55 plus points right and you want this team to have won the Do division something in the playoffs well, as well, well yeah I, that, that would help but yeah. even just winning the division mm-hmm. you know and and you say to the arbitrator my client was their biggest acquisition like he's the biggest difference mm-hmm. 
in this team that went was you know picked just outside the top ten a year ago and now is. So I'm not surprised that it's gone, that it's been quiet. I'm not surprised. I won't be surprised if this one goes long, like right to the moment of the qualifying offer deadline or beyond, because it's a really hard one to exactly calibrate the the leverage is very much on the player's side the player's rational self-interest probably should be to see what the market looks like before before deciding to sign it, it's it's definitely going to be a tricky one it's definitely going to be an expensive one um so yeah i mean that's sort I, of that's sort of the basic shape of this i think the one key difference between Pedersen and philip Hronik is that if I was if I was Hronik's rep, it would be you're going to sign long term somewhere this summer, right? Because this is this is your platform year. This is an incredible career year for you to have. This is when you want to be signing a big long term contract. Whereas I think Pedersen has more of a track record, a little bit more flexibility. Do you want to go short term? Do you want to go medium term? I think there's more things that could make sense here. Where I think from Hronik's perspective is you are wanting to cash in with as much term and as much money total dollars as possible uh, as you can after this deal. But as you said, for all those reasons, complicated one, probably something that's going to get done a lot closer to the summer uh, with the way Philip Ronick is playing. Um, moving on on the whiteboard, lineup notes from today. Casey DeSmith starts. Thatcher Demko gets the day off. Same 18 skaters will dress for the Canucks, so no other changes. Uh, that's per Rick Tockett, who we heard earlier on in the show. As I mentioned as well, optional skate, so no line combinations. I believe yesterday at practice... Uh, the lotto line was together. Not yep. a, not a guarantee. They We've seen other instances of Tockett having you know a, a practice day before a game. Certain combos that get ch- changed up going into the game. So that doesn't mean anything. Uh, Hughes and Hronik were back together at practice yesterday as well. So we'll see if that returns against the Blues tonight. Playoff forecast on the whiteboard. As you mentioned, Oilers won again last night. Fourteen. In a row, and per Dom's model, the Pacific Division again, as I said yesterday, two-horse race. Canucks now at 56%, Edmonton all the way up to a 31% chance to win the Pacific Division. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, do you have it open? Yep. Edmonton Stanley Cup odds. All right. 16%. They've taken the clear lead. Now, Jets and Bruins next at 10 and 11%. Now tell me Vancouver, LA, and Vegas. Vancouver is down to four because of Edmonton's strength, right? So Vancouver, four, LA, four. Where's Vegas here? Vegas, three. So Edmonton is gobbling up the Pacific Division this Stanley is, Cup odds. This is what is sort of an interesting dynamic. The model rates Edmonton as the highest true talent team in the league. Now, if you say what that's ridiculous they don't have the defensive depth the defensive quality or the goaltending to justify that status i would say you're probably not wrong but the things they do well the model mm-hmm. thinks are so important right the the model thinks that their top end is so dominant that they're you know a, a wide like not a not a wide but like a pretty significant cup favorite and in fact the model is high enough on the other Pacific Division teams that that's what's preventing Edmonton from being like a 22. Right, Like if right. that was a Central Division team or a um, Metropolitan Division team, I think you'd see that number be in the mid-20s, right? Which is like where Boston was last year and yep. where Colorado Colorado's was a, year, a couple of years, yep. where, where, where the Lightning have occasionally gotten to. So just an interesting dynamic, one one to monitor, right? Like that, that model... 
is pretty obsessed with the Edmonton Oilers at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and I was actually scrolling through the uh, the player cards at the Athletic today for the Pacific Division, and of course the Canucks grayed out extraordinarily well. Yeah, uh, by that, but by, like by those Hyman, metrics. McDavid, and Drysaddle, well, and, and Bouchard, and Ekholm are that, all new. That's the thing you th- we you always hear oh two person team. You dig into this rating system at least, and as you said, it's it's Bouchard, it's Ekholm, uh, it's Ryan Nugent Hopkins, wow. it's Zach Hyman who are all playing at re- elite I'm, levels right now for Edmonton. I'm I'm serious. Like Bouchard might be a Norris finalist. I don't think he's going to be a contender. With with the Hughes McCarr tier, and and I think it's going to be Hughes's year, but I think Bouchard's going to be a finalist. I think he's going to be a very popular pick, certainly in the top five and probably in the top three. Um, and that's on merit, even though I do think he needs Ekholm to elevate him. Like his contributions on that team are huge. It's not just a two man team. Edmonton also has a a top pair that's playing. As good as any other top pair in the league, and that includes Taves Makar, and that includes Hughes Hironic. So, I do. Uh, I really want to see these teams play in the playoffs, not in the first round. Oh, they're fated to play in the playoffs. Because I think it was Jay Fresh on Twitter who said, "Like these, you look at the shape of their seasons, and these two teams are just like tied together. <laughs> From the Canucks kicking off their heater with the eight-one win, right, clowning them that other time just before they fired their coach, and then them going on this crazy heater well, trying to catch the Canucks in the Pacific. How ridiculous is it since the New Year?" Which, I mean, the New Year's 24 days old. If anyone tells you Happy New Year at this point, it's like, you know, I think you can... Get it together. (laughs) Yeah, you can definitely look them askance. These teams have combined to lose one regulation game and one game in a shootout, and both of those losses are Vancouver's. That's unreal. Silly. It's it's truly silly stuff. Um, Let's go to the gambling odds. Yes. Canucks... Depends obviously on the on the on the book, but anywhere from minus two thirty to minus two fifty home favorites. That's pretty convincing. You can get two to one uh, if you're if you're laying money on the Blues money line, and the over under is set at six and a half with slightly more action on the under, which is interesting to me. I, I guess these teams played a two one game when last mm. they met, but mm-hmm. um, you know, both hyper efficient shooting teams, right? And just and you know to Smith's in as opposed to Demko. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can get even money on the over in some places. I I if I get bet on hockey, I'd be tempted by that. Uh that is the whiteboard for today, January 24th on a Canucks game day against the St. Louis Blues. Just uh picking up quickly on the on the heroic discussion we had there. Somebody texted in, isn't the Devon Taves contract the perfect comp for the heroic deal? Taves uh is going to be making 7.25 on his extension that kicks in next year. I want to say it was a 7-year extension for Devon Taves. It's a perfect comparable for the Canucks. Mm-hmm. I would say the big difference there is the age too, right? Because is Hernick still twenty five, and Devontae's that one will be kicking in when he's thirty, I believe, right? So you're yep. buying years in the thirties rather than the last years of a player's prime. The the other thing is remember what the reaction to that deal was. What a sweetheart deal for for Colorado, right? And now now Taves, it was a win for Taves too because Taves' family settled there. Mm. He you know he'd been there for multiple years. He'd won a cup there. You know, Hernick's been here for a year and a half, right? I, I, it's hard to build as close a relationship without a lengthy playoff run as as Taves will have built with Colorado. And then you sort of look through it and it's like, okay, well, they paid him a ton of term, right? Like, how did they get the cap number low? Well, it, as you said, right? It's because this deal takes him through his age 37 season. Yeah. Hironic can't sell those less efficient years this time. 
You see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. it's like the the dynamic is completely different. Yeah, he's selling his prime years, his, the rest of his prime years, right? right? His, the rest well, of his under thirty years. And often, as we've seen increasingly commonly, players wanting to have the ability to hit the, you know, if you're if you're Philip Ronick, who's going to be what twenty seven, the first year of his next contract. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to sign a max term deal necessarily, especially at seven point two five, and then hit the open market again as a thirty five year old necessarily yeah Hernick's 26 so he turns 27 in November but I don't know about that though because I think I if I was in Hronik's situation you have such you an incredible wa- year this year my point is is you, you're not doing it at a discount right yeah you're, you're gonna get what you want in some form or fashion maybe it's upfront money maybe like I don't know exactly what Hronik wants and of course not probably yeah. won't talk to me on record about it anyway but the uh the fact is, is it, I just think the dynamics different given their age and given how long tenured both players were. Definitely, definitely a good comp. Oh, you're playing me off. Or Surrey Mac is playing us out today. Um, definitely a good comparable though that the Canucks should absolutely aim for. That would be a home run uh, for Hirona. All right, that does it. Enjoy the game tonight. Uh, we will be back on the show tomorrow here for more Canucks talk. Sportsnet six fifty.